Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. All right, we've got a great episode for you today. A day late, but we're going to make up for it. Darnell Jackson is going to join us. I think you guys are going to love this interview. Darnell was fantastic talking about his story, talking a little bit about this team. We're also going to talk to the voice of the Jayhawks and a good friend of mine, Brian Haney, as Kansas gears up for the postseason Big 12 tournament starting this week in Kansas City. I think on Saturday against Texas Senior Night, we saw who Kansas's most important player is. Not their best, their most important. The guy who they need to be the best in this postseason if they're going to have a special end of the season. Ochai Baji's the best player. He was just named Big 12 Player of the Year. Sporting News already put him on their first team All-American team. I think he's going to probably end up on every All-American team or should end up on every first team All-American team. But I don't know if Ochai is the most important player on this team. And I'm not just playing the results and looking at one game because it'd be really easy to do that, by the way. Against Texas, Ochai, for the first time all season, was held in single-digit scoring. He had eight points. He went one of 11 from the field. In his last game in Allen Fieldhouse, he had his worst game of the season. Uh, That doesn't define Ochai, nor his season, nor this team, nor his role on this team. He's still the best player on this team. And Texas is the only team that's been able to keep him in check for two games. I mean, I guess you could say Oklahoma. He wasn't great against them in either of those games. But Texas, I mean, Courtney Ramey, you just give him credit. They face guard him for 40 minutes, and they keep him in check. On top of that, it was his last game, maybe pressing a little bit. Bill Self admitted afterwards they played tight. Regardless, not a great game for him, but it didn't matter because KU won. And the reason why KU won in large part is David McCormick. That was the best game of the season from Big Dave. 22 points, 10 rebounds, and it wasn't because he was super efficient. He went 6 of 13 from the field. That's not hallmark numbers for a big man. And Jesse Newell wrote about this in the Star. He went 10 of 10 from the free throw line. When you have a big guy who draws as many fouls as Dave does and is that deadly from the line, shooting, what, 84% in conference play, 
it's a great tool to have in your bag. And when you couldn't get the main piece of your offense going, you need to have something else to rely upon. And time after time after time, they fed the ball to Dave, and he turned around and either made a bucket, got to the line, made two free throws. And that was why KU ended up winning that game. Jalen Wilson deserves his own part in this as well because he was fantastic on Saturday. 17 points, 13 rebounds. And very quietly, KU has assembled a damn good front court of Dave and Jalen. And Jalen has a piece in it because of what he does, just getting loose balls, 50-50, junk plays. But there's a, <laughs> there's a very valuable role in what Jalen does for this team. But Dave is sort of the piece that brings everything together. And as this team enters the postseason, I think back to a season ago when that team was never going to go to the Final Four. But remember, Dave was dealing with COVID and had to sit out. And you weren't sure exactly how much he was going to be able to play, if he was able to play. K only played two games, lost to USC, went up against Evan Mobley, who, hey, turns out, dude's a freak of nature. Go look at what he's doing for Cleveland. This year, I wonder, are we going to get to see 100% Dave? Are we going to get to see what that looks like? It was surprising to me when I looked at the box score from that Texas game and saw that David played 36 minutes against Texas. This is a guy who's only averaging 22 minutes per game on the season. And if I'm taking a quick look at the most points he'd played all year before the Texas game, it was at Iowa State, 31. He also played 31 at Baylor. So only twice this season had he played more than 30 minutes in a game. Played 36 against Texas. I wonder if that's going to be a sign of things to come in the postseason. He's got the ankle injury, the foot injury, whatever the case is. Now Bill Self's talking about the knee injury, saying it, it, it continues to swell. KU needs Dave if they're going to have a special run in March. Yes, they need Ochai, but to a certain extent, you know what you're going to get from Ochai. The idea that he scored eight points against Texas and trying to equate that into him being in some sort of uh, a slump or the teams have figured him out, I don't know if anybody's even saying that. I could be creating a straw man argument here, but it's just easy to look at the, the numbers as of late and see the lack of efficiency against TCU, again against Texas, and say, okay, what's going on here? I mean, I would venture a guess to say that playing four games in eight days and in those four games, him only having sat for 11 combined minutes might have something to do with the fact that maybe you're not seeing him at his best. Now you get a few days off before the Big 12 tournament, but the flip side is if you end up playing three straight games, then all of a sudden, how fresh are you? Listen, the idea that Bill Self's going to arrest anybody, Dave included, is I mean, a figment of your imagination because we do this every single year. Should they rest guys? And Bill Self has remained very steadfast in that if they're going to Kansas City, they're going to Kansas City to win. Turns out they're going to Kansas City, so I'd imagine as long as they are in the mix, they're going to be playing their starters and he's going to be coaching to win. I don't know what that means for Dave. Does it mean another 36-minute outing? Probably not. But they've kept him relatively in check with the minutes this year. Some of that's injury-based. Some of that's freshness-based. A lot of it, though, has been dependent upon play. And as good as Dave has been in spots, he's been equally as bad, right? He's Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. I think I compared him earlier in the year to Leroy Jenkins, right? You get the ball down low, and you never know what's going to happen. You never know if he's just going to single-handedly do his own thing. Sometimes it's great, but more often than not, 
Uh, it throws a wrench into what you're trying to do. But the fact remains that he's the best option that you have. Yes, there are things that Mitch and KJ and Zach can all do individually. But you look at the off-on splits for Dave. They're better with him on the court offensively. They're better with him on the court defensively. Specifically on defense. As bad as he has been defensively, I think a lot of that is relative to the guys you want to compare him to, all the great defensive bigs that came before him. He is easily the best option this team has on that end of the court. Now, a large part of that is rebounding. He's the best defensive rebounder, and defensive rebounding is a big part of defense. But I just cannot imagine a scenario where Dave has to sit on the bench for large stretches of time during March and KU goes on a run. I can't imagine it. I mean, we've seen the types of teams that give KU fits, athletic, long, and guess what? There are a lot of good teams that fit that billing in March. You go up against a Kentucky, an Auburn, a Gonzaga, a Purdue. Your season could end pretty quickly. Hell, even Texas, what are they going to end up as a five seed? That doesn't on paper seem to be like a good matchup for Kansas. And there are a lot of mismatches defensively that scare you about what Dave can do because he is rather one-dimensional. But he's your only shot. And as good as he was against Texas, you need more and more of that moving forward. It doesn't always have to be 22 points because I don't know how often you want to see him taking 13 shots a game. But if any other team is capable of defending Ochai the way Texas did, and I'll tell you, not every team's going to be able to do it, but there will be one or two that are going to take Ochai out of a game. Maybe not to the tune of eight points or one of 11 from the field, but they're going to be able to slow him down and keep him from going for 20-plus. And when that night comes, yes, it'd be great if Christian's knocking down shots. Yes, it would be great if Jalen's getting those scrappy points and winding up with 15, 17 points per game. It would be great if you can get a spark off the bench from a guy like Joe or Remy or maybe even DeWan's knocking down shots, but we all know your best second option in terms of creating offense, right? Not just benefiting from others, but creating offense is going to be feeding Dave. And whether it's knocking down those shots or making you pay from the free throw line, this team has to have a positive version of Big Dave if they're going to go on a run. This episode of Wave in the Weed is brought to you by Home Field. Home Field is a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis. Their clothes are incredibly comfortable. It is officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. Home Field is currently at the end of their big new Saturday season three. Last week was week seven, which belonged to the University of Kansas. What's so cool about Home Field is they don't just take logos and slap them on a t-shirt or a hoodie. They dig through the archives. They, they find out the history of your school. They find the old, unique logos, the mascots, and the moments to make thoughtful designs for your school. And if you're a Kansas fan, you know how many cool designs and former Jayhawk logos are out there. My personal favorite would be the Angry Jayhawk, the 1941 World War II Jayhawk. And guess what? Now you can find that logo on the most comfortable apparel known to man. When you first buy Homefield Apparel, you think you're buying it for the logos. You think you're buying it for the cool designs, which is what I did. That's why I bought a, a Colorado School of Mines hoodie with a blue burrow on it. That's why I bought a Slippery Rock hoodie. That's why I bought a, a UC Irvine t-shirt with a surfing anteater on it. You buy it because they have these cool old logos. But then you wear it and you realize, oh, this is why people love it. It's because it's the most comfortable stuff out there. 
I tell people all the time, like my girlfriend kept asking me, why do you keep wearing these same hoodies over and over again? Why do you keep buying these weird hoodies? I said, feel it, feel the inside of it. She felt it. And what do you know? Two minutes later, she's buying a Western Kentucky Hilltoppers hoodie. That's how good this stuff is. I was rocking one of the new Kansas hoodies, the Mean Jayhawk hoodie out to the wheel last week. And everybody kept coming up to me. Where is that? What'd you get? Where do you get that? I'm telling you right now, you go and get it at homefieldapparel.com. The Kansas collection has 14 pieces of apparel in the collection, including t-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, all vintage marks. And you, because you're a listener of this podcast, I have a special deal for you. New customers can get 15% off their first purchase from Homefield with the code NICK. That's N-I-C-K at checkout. That's 15% off your first purchase at Homefield when you use the code NICK at checkout at homefieldapparel.com. Darnell Jackson, former Kansas big man, is our guest. Darnell, it's been a few years since we've talked. I think it was about 2018 or so when you were back for the Round Ball Classic, but now you are officially back stateside doing some training. Good to talk to you, man. How you been? Everything's going great. You know, uh, I've been back and forth with the process with uh, Chris Johnson at Just Hoops, doing a lot of NBA development with some young guys and some guys that's in NBA now. And I was back and forth with uh, Ben Simmons uh, before he got traded to Brooklyn. So that was a, it was, it was a great, great opportunity that I couldn't pass up. You know, I was blessed to, to be a part of that process. So I'm just looking forward to the next, you know, to the next journey, man. Hopefully here in the near future, I'll be on somebody's uh, coaching staff. That's interesting that you've been working with Ben. I didn't realize that. Um, that's pretty topical. <laughs> what do you think that fit's going to look like with him in Brooklyn with KD and Kyrie, assuming everybody's healthy and can get on the court together? Honestly, I think it'd be great. Um, like I always say, good luck, you know, because you, you got a elite score in all three of those guys, you know, and Ben can play any position. And you got KD, can play the one. Kyrie can play the one. He's, he's been, he's, he, he can play off the ball too. So I'm really excited to see what happens with that. Now, you've got a a really interesting basketball background. I know you got started playing pretty late in life, right? Weren't you like 14, 15 by the time you started playing basketball? Ninth ninth grade, yes, sir. And you were playing football before that, right? Yeah, I was playing football. What ultimately led to the change? My mom. um, It was, we had a game one day, and, and so for a while, my mom didn't know I was playing. So my teacher invited her to the game and they were like, she was, so she was in the stands pointing at, Oh, who is that big kid? And they were like, Oh, that's Darnell. So she didn't know. So I got hit in my legs. I got hit the wrong way. And as soon as that happened, she came down to the field. She was like, you're done. And I was like, okay, you know, it's my mom. I'm, I'm young. Mm. Uh, like I, I wish I would have played both, but you know, I guess that wasn't meant to be. So I remember reading a story about you. This is when you were still playing at Kansas that your introduction to basketball came when you were doing community service at a local rec center in Oklahoma City. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, It was at McKinley Park with um, my mentor, um, Corey Colbert. I was just when I got, you know, going down the wrong path as, as, a, as a young kid and got in trouble. Uh, really got lucky because I could have got sent away from boot camp for a few years and, and the judge 
he had me stand up and he told me to my face. He was like, I believe in giving people second opportunities. And he gave me a second opportunity. And uh, went to McKinley Park. And, you know, I'm at that time, I'm like 6'6", long, not athletic a little bit, couldn't really jump or dunk. And Corey just told me one day, he was just like, man, you know, if you come here every day and, and work on your basketball skills, uh, I will take some of your hours off from your community service. So I'm like, okay, deal. You know, you got a 6'6 kid in there cleaning walls and cleaning the toilets. Yeah. And I'm like, what are you doing here? You don't play basketball? You know, I'm like, no. So, it, you know, it, it worked out for me. You know, he, he stuck with me every way, every step of the way. And uh, I'm, I'm very grateful for him and his family. But you were learning basketball against grown men. Like, you weren't playing against kids your age. Yeah, I, I wasn't. Yeah. So the, the park we went to was basically like our safe. It was a safe haven for, like, like the hood. I'm just going to say the hood. Like, every... Everybody that that had trials and tribulations through their life you know, or their childhood or guys that even like they're fresh out of prison, you know, Corey made that a safe haven for people to go to. He keep, always kept it open. Even when people didn't have food to eat, like, okay, you can come get a hot meal at McKinley Park or make sure guys got home safely. So it, it was every day that's why I went. Even when I was done with community service, when I was in high school, college, even now, I had opportunity to go home, you know, for a few days. And I, I went there, you know, I went there, sat, sat down with him, talked to him. And it's just, I look back at it. And when you walk in his office, you see all these obituaries on the wall of all my closest friends that died, you know, from gang violence, prison riots. And, and I was I was with the one that, you know, got blessed enough to make it up. How much do you think learning basketball in that environment sort of shaped your mentality on the court throughout your career? Um, it honestly shaped my whole life at that at that time because there are guys that I can name that I'm not going to name that were like top athletes in Oklahoma City that had the opportunity to go off and, and do big things. But it just didn't pan out that way. So me sitting back and watching those guys, the, the mistakes that they made and how Corey was always on me every day, making sure I was doing the right thing and telling me to my face, I mean, you're going to make it one day. Like, you're going to make it. I'm looking at him like, like, you don't even know me, you know? Yeah. But, you know, so, like, playing against those guys, standing up for myself and just having a voice, you know, that, that really molded me into the player that I wanted to be in the future. So what was that ascent like for, for, I mean, you you were 15 years old, you hadn't even played basketball to all of a sudden realizing, okay, I may be pretty good at this thing to three years later, you're signing up to play at one of the top programs in the country. So what was that ascent like from picking up a ball and actually playing for the first time to winding up in Kansas? Um, when I, when I first started traveling for AAU, uh, it was with athletes first and my first trip was to Vegas, and I played well, and I had the opportunity to play against like uh, Dwight Howard, Al Jefferson, and I tell a lot of people this: like my first letter was from Kansas, but it was for football. Wait, so who was it for? It was like for Mark Mangino. Yes, it was for football. It was. <laughs> I still have it somewhere in, in a box in a storage. It was for football. 
And Coastal was still at Illinois at this time. Kansas wasn't really recruiting me. It was Illinois, Purdue, OU, OSU. Those like were my top schools. And uh, Coastal gave me a phone call one day and says, I'm going to come to practice. I'm like, okay. And he ended up telling me he might get the job at Kansas. And that's how I ended up at Kansas. He got the job. And he's like, would you love to come to Kansas? I was like, hell yeah. You know, I didn't say that, but I'm like, hell yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, Drew Gooden was one of the reasons why I always wanted to go to KU. Yeah, I think I had read that before, that, that Drew Gooden was your sort of first introduction to Kansas basketball. What was it about him that, that you liked so much? Just the way he carried himself, the way he spoke, um, the way he played. And I went on a recruiting visit with JR, one of my closest friends in Jeremy Case. And Drew was walking out of the locker room and he was sick. And they were saying he might not play. I think he had the flu or something. And I'm like, damn, like I really wanted to watch him play. Next thing I know, he's running out the tunnel. And I think he had like 20 points and 18 rebounds, something crazy. And I was just like, man, this is where I want to go to school. Like, this is it. This is where I, this where I belong. Yeah, Drew was sick. I think people forget just how freaking good he was. But I think it's because he wasn't on that 03 team that went to the championship game that he's not maybe remembered in the, the, the exact same way that guys like Nick and Kirk were. But that guy was about as good as it gets. And I think you could argue from a talent perspective that 02 team was uh, just as good as the 03 team. But just to back up, for a second, you mentioned the football offer. Were you ever seriously considering playing football at Kansas? No. Okay. No. Then Coach Manning, he used to tell me all the time, he's like, man, you should do both. You should do, like, jokingly, but not joking about it. But I, yeah. I really think Coach Manning really wanted me to do both. I thought about it. Uh, even when I left college, I even thought about, you know, trying to join, like, a training camp somewhere. Um, I even have some of my closest friends still tell me, like, bro, you should, you should try to go try out. I'm like, no, nah, man, I'm, I get hit by one of those guys. It's over. <laughs> yeah. You see more and more guys doing that. I think Rico gathers right from Baylor did it a couple of years uh, ago, but uh, very few of them actually pan out. Okay. So now if the opportunity came my yeah. way, I wouldn't turn it down. Yeah. I'd definitely give it a shot. Yeah. Why not? Right. Um, so first three years at Kansas, Freshman season, you've still got Simeon, pretty loaded, uh, not playing a ton. Then comes the roster overturn. Your sophomore and junior year, you start playing some more. You're playing 10, 15, 20 minutes a game, sort of a rotational big. Uh, spot starts here and there, but for the most part, coming off the bench as a rotational big man. How would you describe your first three years at Kansas? Honestly, hell, I would just, uh, it, was, it was very tough for me, man. Uh, you know, life-wise, personal reasons, mental reasons, and physical reasons. Just, honestly, I don't think I was really prepared for what Kansas was going to throw at me when I got there. And just trying to juggle school and the, the tradition and Coach Self's system and how hard-nosed he was and dealing with my own personal reasons back at home, it was just so much for me. I just didn't know what to do. And that's why if you like one of the boys, like I just I packed up and I went home. Like it's just dealing with my mom's situation and and I, I just felt like if I just gave it all up, you know, my life would just change and things would probably just go back the way it used to be when I was growing up. 
but it didn't. So uh, thank God, you know, Coach Chalmers and Coach Self, they came back and got me. And when I went back, told my mom at the funeral, uh, she didn't she didn't get to see my grandmother after the wreck. And when they opened the castle, that was the first time she saw her. You know, and you know, she went crazy. And I grabbed her and I whispered in her ear, and I told her I was like, I'm gonna make it. So that was my motivation for me to go so damn hard my senior year because of that reason. You mentioned Coach Self and Coach Chalmers coming and visiting you that night in Oklahoma City. And it's really easy, like on the outside looking in, to view your basketball career as everything that happened before that night and everything that happened after. And I don't know if you exactly view it that way, but what was it about that night and that, and that visit from, from those coaches that convinced you that you still had unfinished business at Kansas? My, my uncle, like, before I even said a word to Coach Chalmers and Coach Self, my uncle came and grabbed me. He came and picked me up. He didn't even come in the house. He pulled up to the front of the house, and he called my mom, and my mom said, go outside your uncle's here. And my uncle said, get in the car. And I said, okay. Drove down the street. And the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm telling myself, if he makes a right, I'm done. Like, I, I knew I was done. And he made a right. He took me to go see my grandmother's grave. And I haven't seen it in two years. And he pulled up and he said, get out. And he said, go talk to your grandmother. And as soon as I walked up to her, to our tombstone, I just, I broke down and he walked behind me and told me, he was like, you know, your grandmother wouldn't want you to do this. And he was like, so let's go back and you need to go talk to Coach Self and Coach Chalmers. Went back. Um, uh, me and Coach Self, we had a, a personal conversation outside and, he, you know, he grabbed me and hugged me and I just broke down crying and he was like, let's go back home and, and, and let's finish this. And that's how, you know, that's how it started. You know, it, it started out great and ended great. Was it a focus? Was it a, a level of dedication? Like what changed for you from a basketball standpoint after that? It was a little bit of both. My, You know, my focus and, 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 and the dedication and a promise, you know, to my teammates and to, to the coaches, especially Coach Self. Like um, my mom and Coach Self, they had a great relationship. So she was always telling me, like, you know, like you need to do this for him. You know, you need to do this for your teammates. So I just always just try to, before every game, like, you know, just try to make sure I, I did my part. Like, for everybody that was pulling for me from uh, one of my closest friends uh, that I consider my godfather, Don Davis, you know, he was he was the reason why I pounded my chest three times because he, because of my the school violations, he couldn't come to any of the games. And, you know, um, I still carry a picture in my phone of when I used to go and help you know, him in his front yard and we used to shoot on a basketball goal. I'm like, that's where it all started out. Like having those people in my circle that really cared about me, you know, that, that would kept me motivated to keep going. Yeah. I think back to that 08 season because that whole front court was so loaded. Um, but I know Sasha was starting at one point and then at one point you took over as, as the fifth starter down low. And I think back to that front court tandem of you and Shady, because we don't really do this anymore. Now it's mostly four guards playing around one big. But you know, this is back in the era when you would typically have two big guys on the court, and you guys were just so freaking efficient. What was it about 
you guys and that pairing, that tandem down low that made you guys so effective? Understanding the game. You know, we, we, like, we knew how to play together. And, and it, it wasn't just like you had to worry about one of us. You had to worry about all of us. Not just to be, you had to worry about the guards. And you had to worry about Cole and, Sharon, and Cole, Sharon, Sasha coming off the bench. Russ, like we, we were so loaded at every position, man. And like, I remember saying it when we lost against UCLA. Like, I was like, we're going to win it next year. I'm like, we're going to win it all. Like, I knew deep down inside we were going to win it. So there's a cool story that's been told uh, after the 08 Elite Eight win over Davidson. Because that game was a sense of relief for a lot of people, for a lot of fans. I know it was a sense of relief for Coach Self because at the time the knock against him was that he couldn't win the big game, that they that Kansas had so much success, but they hadn't you know, gone to the Final Four. There was this sense of relief that finally you had won. We're going to the Final Four. It was a celebratory locker room for you guys. And then you said something. Do you remember what happened? What, what, what was said? What happened in that moment? No, I don't, I don't remember. It was a long time ago. Um, well, as the story goes, everybody was kind of celebrating, and then you sort of spoke up and said, uh-uh, like, man, this isn't the celebration that we're looking for. Yeah, because it, it wasn't over. You know, it would, like, we, we weren't done. So, like, yeah, it felt good, you know, throwing water on Coach Self and everything, but I was like, now let's go to the Final Four and the business. You know, like, I was, there's no doubt in my mind, like, we were not going to lose. And I remember telling Mario, Brandon, and Shady, I was like, hey, you guys got to take us home. Like, this is it. And if you go back and look at that game, I know everybody talks about that big shot. And the way Darrell played in that game, mm -hmm. without him, we would not have won that game. Like, he played unbelievable. Like, he played out of, like, just out of his comfort zone, knocking down every shot, rebounding, like just making plays for the team like that we needed. Yeah, I think he had like 20 and 10 in that game. And then he hit the, the big jumper during that comeback, that like 18-foot jumper. Yes. Yes, sir. I mean, when I look back on the, the four years you were in Kansas, like it was such an insane run, not just of the bigs that you guys had, but all the talent throughout the Big 12, I mean, you had a three-year stretch where it was Durant, Beasley, and Griffin. And, I mean, Durant gets all the pub, and rightfully so, for what he's done with his pro career. But I think people sort of tend to forget just how insane Beasley was in college because he hasn't had the pro career to go with it. But I think, I mean, that dude was an absolute freak. It was tough. Like, yeah. even, even in the NBA, like, when I had the opportunity just to hold him a few times, I'm just like, you know, it's like, he's literally a walking bucket. Like, he can go score anytime he wants. You know, I, I wish he was still in the NBA because, in, like, in today's game, like, he'd go, he'd go average double figures. Yeah. Easy. You know, he's a big guard. You know, he can shoot. He can create his own shot. He can post up. Like he, like he deserves a lot of credit for you know for what he's done in college and in, in his NBA career. All right, I want to go through some of the bigs, and you can tell me as much or as little as you want. But I want to go through some of the bigs that you played with at Kansas, and just sort of tell me what comes to mind when you think of them. I already gave you one. When I say shady, what's the first thing you think of? Oh, uh, 
just a go man. Shady was just a go getter, man. Like he's just quiet. And he's just gonna get the job done any way possible. If he gotta go score or go grab thirty rebounds, he's gonna get it done. All right, what about Sasha? Uh, Sasha was our Sasha was the enforcer. You know, he's um he was the way Sasha carried himself, Sasha carried himself as a pro. You know, Sasha was a pro's pro. Like, always on time, putting in the extra work, uh, keeping guys in, you know, in line, making sure, like, you go to class today, D-Block? I'm like, yeah, I went to class today. Actually, you know, Sasha was like the general, you know, for especially for us, for the big guys. Uh, so if he were playing today, I don't know if we would consider him a big guy, but at the time we did. What about Julian Wright? Uh, Julian... Uh, Julian's uh, our uh, our spiritual leader. You know, he was he was always talking highly of everybody, always positive. Um, you know, if somebody needs to hear hear the word. You know, he was definitely pray over the team and pray over, over guys. Man, he he's, he definitely has a, a pure soul. You know, he cared about a lot of people. What about Wayne Simeon? What was it like going up against him in practice as a freshman? Wayne was a beast, man. I would, like, like Wayne is probably one of the toughest guys I probably ever held in my career. Like, cause he can do it all. His footwork and, and and creating his own shot, being physical down low, even the eighteen footer, even a three, he had the whole package. Last one, and I don't know what you saw out of him throughout the season. He only played with him for one year, but you know how big he came up in the tournament against North Carolina, Cole Aldridge. Oh, big clumsy, big clumsy, man. Cole was fun, man. Goofy, clumsy. Uh, you just love to have him around. He was always joking, just always like uplifting, you know, to everybody. It didn't matter if it was a bad situation or a good situation. Cole's spirit and his energy was always positive. So I don't know how much of this year's team you've got a chance to watch, but I see you tweeting and uh, and posting on social media about him. So I know you're paying attention. Uh, what are your thoughts on this team as we kind of head down the home stretch and get ready for the postseason? Um, I, I I love it. I love the the way the guys, what, the direction the guys are going. I even told J.K. So I was like, man, you guys are loaded before the season even started. I said, man, you guys are loaded at a lot of position. And in my opinion, I think these guys can make a run to the final four. Yeah, I think my big concern is the the rotation. I think the talent's there, but you've got two spots, the five and the one, where you're still figuring out who should be playing how much. Like, we all know that the wing spots are kind of locked down with CB and Oach and Jalen Wilson. Like, those guys are going to get their 35-plus a game, but it's the constant fluctuation with playing time at the point guard spot, at the five spot with Dave and his injury. Don't know how healthy he's going to be. There's just these these questions that still persist about the rotation, and it's this time of year when you feel like the rotation's shrinking and, and things are kind of tightening up, and that's just, for whatever reason, not happening with this team. Definitely. It's just like, you know, just sitting back watching, it, was, it just seems like still trying to figure it out, you know, especially within these, like with the guys, because at those positions, you know, some games they look great, some games they don't. But now you're going into Marsh Madness. It can't be sometimes. It has to be consistent. So you have to put the you have to put the best piece in. So if, if Lightfoot is going, let him go. If David is going, let him go. But you know these guys are seniors now. You know some of them are you know super seniors. 
Now you have to find out what your role really is and get it done. Darnell, thank you so much for the time, man. This was awesome. I really enjoyed it, and I'd love to do it again in the future. This was fun, man. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me on. You know him as the voice of the Jayhawks. Good friend of mine. Good to talk to you. Brian Haney with us on this week's episode. What's up, man? Great to see you, buddy. I'm uh, thrilled to have the chance to come on and talk to you. You were just listing off all the greats you've gotten here in the recent weeks of this terrific new project. And I kind of feel like the guy that's not worthy of being at the table right now. So thank you for, for slumming it with the, the peasant Jayhawk nah. uh, like me after the big time names you've been getting on. No, man, I want to have you on because, uh, you know, we, we have a lot of the former players on and we tell stories and we reminisce and we hear about their time, but... With guys like you, I just want to shoot the breeze, man. I want to talk some hoops, just like uh, two friends catching up. So let's just yeah. start right there. This season, it's it's weird. You and I were talking before we got started here about how it's been a while since we've been able to see KU on a deep tournament run. Obviously, the Final Four in 2018, but the only two actual tournament appearances we've seen since then were early exits in 2019 and last year. 2021, I think everybody around here thinks that would have been a banner year, but we were robbed of an NCAA tournament. So this team, it doesn't really feel like any of these past three seasons. It doesn't feel like it's got Final Four written all over it, but it doesn't feel like early exit either. Where are you sort of at now that the regular season's come to a close? You know, I'm hopeful, but I'm certainly not counting my Jayhawks before they hatch. Um the sting of the Auburn game in Salt Lake City, which was only ultimately a 14-point final margin, but it felt way worse because for much of the game, it was north of 20. The sting of USC last year up in Indianapolis, and then as you said, in 2020, not being able to see Doak and Devon get their chance to shine, not being able to see Marcus Garrett alongside Azubuki, who both won individual national defensive player of the year honors. When has that ever happened? Two different guys on the same team, both win that award. I'll take that. What if to my grave and, and always wonder what might've been because as a play-by-play guy, you hope you're, you're blessed and healthy to be at it long enough at a school like Kansas to go to four or five final fours and call one or two national titles. My predecessor, Bob Davis got the call 1988 and 2008. He had obviously four final fours with Roy. Of course he got to do 86 and 88 with Larry Brown and then uh, two of the bill self final fours, but you never know when it's going to happen. And there've been a ton of great teams that never made it. And then a team like 2018 that was maybe self's, ninth or 10th most talented team that squeaks it in. And so to me, you know, when I think back to 2020 and what might've been, uh, I'll always wonder and, and wish that those kids would have gotten their just due and their chance to be on one shining moment. So then you fast forward to this year and yeah, it's, it's kind of like 2018 in that it's not an overwhelmingly talented team. And yet because it's Kansas and coach self is just this regular season czar who, who makes amazing things happen. Now what would be potentially a ninth one seed in a 14 year stretch had a bracket been released in 2020. I count that one as a one seed cause we were the one of ones. Yeah. So, so if this week goes well in Kansas city, and they get a one seed, which as of today's recording, they're projected by Joe Lenardi to be a one. That's nine in 14 years. I mean, that's almost Alabama football regular season consistency of being in the top four for the CFP every year. It's nuts. And so if you're on the one line, you have the projection to get there. And yet I think a lot of us 
worried at this team because they've been cardiac Kansas for much of the year with these the heart-stopping, nail-biting, edge-of-your-seat type games, many of which we pulled out, but some we haven't. You kind of worry that it's going to catch up to them and it might end their season at some point. But if they're on the one or the two line and they can avoid you know, playing a more athletic team until maybe the Sweet 16 Elite Eight, then this club can absolutely get to New Orleans. And if they do, it'll be in similar fashion to 2018 when a club that certainly had stars but was not anywhere near his top five most talented teams wound up getting to a place that the previous clubs did not. You know what you you brought you brought up 2018, which is a lot of people have been bringing up that team recently because going into the tournament they were two seed if I remember correctly, and they weren't people weren't super excited. Didn't they get blown out the last game of the regular season to uh, to Oklahoma State? Right? Yeah, I yes. think that, yeah. It was it was senior night or no? It was, maybe it was at it was sorry it was at um, it was Go at on. Oklahoma State, that but. But that team we thought was really matchup dependent as well. And, and I remember going into that Duke game in the Elite Eight in Omaha. And you had Marvin Bagley, you had Grayson Allen, you had Wendell Carter Jr. I mean, that's three first-round picks, two lottery picks. And we thought, oh, this team that plays four guards is going up against the best front court in the country. Good luck. And it, nice. took, and it took Svi Mikhailuk guarding Marvin Bagley for KU to go on and win that game and go to the Final Four. So it's weird that I think this team is as matchup dependent as any in recent history, yet uh, last time we said that, the team ended up going to San Antonio. Yep. Yep. Isn't that wild? Yeah. And, you know, what else I remember about that particular loss in 2018 was the one to Oklahoma State that you described, the Gallagher-Iba. That was the first time of just twice all time that a Big 12 school has swept Bill Self in a home That's and right, home. yeah. And prior to that, it had never happened. And then Mike Boynton, of all guys, was the guy to get it done. And then even more surprising, Shaka Smart became the second guy <laughs> to get it done. Nobody else ever has. But at the time when that happened, you're right, it was their senior day. And uh, I just looked up the scores. You were talking about that, 82 to 64. And we leave there thinking, ugh. I, I don't know what this month is going to look like now. We still had high hopes, but but you kind of end the season with a thud, and uh, and yet they take us on an unbelievable run. So hopefully there's something special in front of this group that had a couple of speed bumps, obviously, in Waco and Fort Worth. Ochai Abaji had the ultimate individual speed bump going one of 11 versus Texas, but maybe that gets it out of his system. Maybe this club now has a chance to rattle off who knows, nine in a row? Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. But, but if they have a good showing in Kansas City, they'll absolutely be a one seed if they were to win the tournament in KC. And from there, you know, you'll take your, take your chances. But like I said, it's, it's my hope for a Kansas team that does have some limitations physically in terms of athleticism that, you know, you don't get in the region where you're the one and Kentucky is the two. Mm-hmm. Or you don't get that second-round draw that right now Lenardi has Gonzaga having to play, which is TCU as an eight seed in the second round staring back at you. Now, obviously, Kansas wouldn't face TCU in the second round since they're in the Big 12 with them. But my point is, there are certain matchups out there that you hope, A, don't wind up in your region, but B, if they do, you hope you're a high enough seed line to where you don't run into that type of athleticism mismatch until you get to perhaps Sweet 16 Elite Eight time. And that would be my hope for this Kansas club because let's call it like it is. I mean – 
the 2008 national championship team, their fourth big was a lottery pick. This team does not have that. And Bill Self has said it's more than anybody. It's been hard to recruit the same type of players in the midst of the ongoing NCAA investigation stuff. And so they've made the most out of what they have and then some. And if you want to, you know, try to quantify just how great coach self is at regular season consistency and dominance and his mastery within this league. Consider the fact that recruiting has been twice as hard the last three years. And the guy that was the preseason big 12 player of the year didn't even sniff his potential. And yet Kansas still wins the league, still gets the big 12 player of the year. Only it's a different guy and still is in position to be a one seed. Most teams, if they had a preseason conference player of the year, who only played half the schedule and averaged half as many points per game as what he was projected to do, you'd be talking about a fifth or a sixth place team. At Kansas, with Bill Self's coaching mastery, this is a guy that just finds a way every single stinking year. And as they lined up those 20 trophies on Saturday, 20 out of 26 years in the league history, I just thought, man, how spoiled are we? that this is what we get to watch year in and year out. And he'd be the first to admit we need to hang more Final Four banners. We need to add that sixth national title banner to be a one seed that many times and only have the one national championship to show for it. He'd be the first to admit we got to do better once we get there. But the regular season dominance and consistency is second to none. Every other supposed blue blood has had a year where they fell to the eight seed line or they fell all the way out. I mean, Kentucky was in the NIT the year after they won it all in 2012. That doesn't happen at Kansas. And that's a huge credit to Bill Self. The fact that his worst teams are four seeds, which means you're one of the best 16 teams in the country. That's just unreal and, quite frankly, unrivaled. Yeah, and I always tell people, you know, Bill Self is going to get the second title eventually. So for people who want to use that as a knock against him, what are you going to say then? Because you can keep saying it now and maybe say it this year and next year. Whenever he does get that second title, I'm just curious as to what the knock against him is going to be because you're right, the NCAA tournament's the hardest title to win in all of sports. I, I truly believe that. It's, it's a crapshoot. It's a six-game single elimination tournament. Very seldom do we get treated to a matchup between the two best teams like we did last year with Gonzaga and Baylor. But you mentioned something about KU doing this despite not having the preseason Big 12 Player of the Year play like a preseason Player of the Year, but they ended up getting the actual Big 12 Player of the Year unanimously in Ochai Abaji. And you know, unlike Frank Mason or Devontae Graham, when they came back, with, with more so with Devontae than Frank, but when those guys came back, you thought, okay, these guys have been great players. Um, they're going to be great leaders for this team. And with Ochai, it wasn't that he didn't have a great resume up until this year. It's that I don't think there were a ton of people expecting him to all of a sudden make the ascension that he did. But that that's the reason why Kansas is in this spot. It's not just, I mean, it's not just him, but like if, I'm, if I'm pointing to one indicator as to why Kansas is still in line for a one seed, despite as you described him being the cardiac kids, is because they've had the best player in the conference unanimously. And the trajectory that he's taken over his four years at Kansas is Unlike just about anything we've seen, and if you're looking for a reason as to why you think this team could go on a run, you have to start with him. No doubt. When I think back to that signing class, we were so excited about Quentin Grimes, first and foremost, that by the time he transferred out of Kansas, folks were like, oh, he's a bust. And yet he makes it to the NBA. We were excited about Devon Dotson, who, again, were he not robbed of a postseason, One more game, Nick, maybe one more half, 
he finishes as a 1,000-point career scorer, maybe has a chance to take this team to the Final Four, maybe has a chance to finish with a completely different legacy to where his number's up there. You know, had they had a, a most outstanding player with a Final Four type run. I mean, he had a great career, but he's not remembered in the same ilk because he left and they never had the postseason success. We were excited about David McCormick, and obviously that one's been a little bit up and down, but but here he is at the finish of it, uh, having a chance to go out as a guy that's uh, finished on a high note. But Ochai Abaji was the afterthought in that class. Nobody was talking about Ochai Abaji. He was ranked 312th at the time he committed to KU and then was ticketed for a red shirt. And I remember being at practice that fall before the season started in October, and he looked like such a great athlete. Sure, he was a little bit raw, but you could tell you know, that there were big things coming for this young man. And Ochai tells the story that at one point, Coach Self pulled him aside during one of those early practices and says, you're going to be an All-American before it's all said and done. And he thought, say what? <laughs> no way. And, and yet to see what transpired from there with the red shirt being lifted halfway through his first season, four of his first eight games, I mean, he was turning heads left and right. There was the 20 plus points he had at Texas and people are trying to figure out who is this guy? I mean, announcers had no idea how to say his name and opposing coaches were trying to add him to the scouting report as like a 12th guy that they didn't have in their normal you know, rotation deck for Kansas. And, and he wowed you with the athleticism. He wowed you with his clutchness for a guy that I think those first two or three weeks, he didn't know any better. He should have been overwhelmed. He should have been wide-eyed and then blown away by the magnitude of the moment, but he wasn't. And until he kind of came back down to earth, it was a, is this really possible? And then from there, Nick, as you saw, you know, he had a good sophomore year. He had a good junior year. They were all Big 12 honorable mention type seasons, but he was never super consistent as a primary scorer. He was an auxiliary guy that would give you that, 15, 18-point game, every handful of contests, went nuts against Oklahoma in the Big 12 tournament in his hometown at the end of his junior year, which raised some eyebrows as to what he might be as a senior. But I remember when he put his name in the pre-draft process, I kind of thought, no way. Like, there's no way he's going to go pro after this season. He was just too inconsistent. And while he's a tremendous athlete, he's got a lot of work to do before he's going to be able to be drafted and, and really have a spot in the league. And I love the kid. I, I've said on record, he's my favorite kid I've ever covered for the person that he is. But I was skeptic when he put his name in as a junior. But I think today, 10 months later, we look back and we say he is now the prototype for the student athlete basketball star that uses the pre-draft process for what it should be to go out there, put your skill set on display, receive some constructive criticism, which at times is hard to hear, but take it humbly, use it as fuel to your fire, and then bust your tail to go out there and work on all those things they said you had to prove so that you can go out in the regular season that's in front of you and make yourself a ton of money for what lies ahead. And several things went into this. It wasn't just the amazing offseason and the trainer that he worked with and all that. I talked to him in October, and he was so dialed in. When Mitch Lightfoot's getting endorsement deals from 1-800-GOT-JUNK and other guys are getting Wendy's deals, I said, Oh, where's yours at? You've got the million-dollar smile. You've got more charisma than any guy I know. He said, Brian, I, I don't want to get wrapped up in the NIL stuff because it might distract me from what I'm trying to do right here. And I know if I have the type of season I think I can have, there'll be way more at the end of the 
road than, than anything I could get up front with NIL. And I thought, how mature is that? How, I don't want to say selfless, but because it's, it's big picture, you know, realizing that, you know, that the pie at the end of it was going to be much bigger than any type of five or 10 I was thinking about that. that the other day, by the way. I was Were like, you? wait a minute, this guy's national player of the year. I have not seen him do one deal. One. No. And, and so I thought, how mature is that? And then we get into the season, still expecting it to be Remy Martin as, as like a one-two punch with him. I never really thought Remy would be this dominant player at Kansas that he was at Arizona State. But when the media picks you as the preseason Big 12 player of the year, I think we all thought Remy's going to be a 15 or 16 point per game type guy. And, and then we thought Ochai would be something similar. But when Remy never fully acclimated to Kansas and, and our style of play and the injury set in and all that, you know, Ochai just took the baton and ran with it. And it was that way from opening night at Madison Square Garden. But we kind of thought that he'd come back down to earth and, and level off a bit. He never did. And it was clear it was his team. And so at the time of taping, he's averaging 19.8 per game. But I have every confidence that going into the postseason, he will finish this year north of 20 points per game and become just the third Jayhawk under Bill Self to do that with Wayne Simeon and Frank Mason being the other two. But I don't think anybody was forecasting that preseason. I I thought, sure, he can be first-team all-league like he was picked to be, but it'll probably be as a 16-point-per-game type guy. Now we're talking about a guy that had 17 20-plus point games. And until the Texas game set a Kansas record under Bill Self for the most consecutive double-figure scoring games of any Jayhawk player in 19 years under Bill Self. The previous record was Wayne Simeon's. He now holds it at 29, and he darn near got a 30th with the points he had in overtime. The point is, he took all that constructive criticism. He came laser-focused into this season, having worked on those things, and now he's enjoying the fruits of these labors. And now, thanks to the news that came out this week of him being a first-team All-American and the news that came out on Sunday that he's the Big 12 Player of the Year, the kid that was ranked 312th coming out of Oak Park will now forever have his name yeah. hanging in the Allen Fieldhouse rafters. And I'll succinctly wrap it up with this. You know, his name might not go directly next to Devontae Grahams. It depends on when the guys come back, the order that they hang them next to. But Ochai's first ever trip to Allen Fieldhouse, ironically, was Devontae Graham's senior night in the red jerseys. And he watched Devontae make his speech. He watched how beloved he was. He was so enamored with not just Devontae, the player, but his persona, all that. And when I think of the definition of humble superstar, these two guys personify it better than anybody. And how fitting would it be if Graham four was right next to a Baji 30? Because for my money, in all my years of doing Rock Shock Sports Talk before you got there, in all my years at Texas Tech, and now back home as the voice of the Jayhawks for six years in Kansas, those two student athletes were the most grounded, humble, gracious, appreciative, supportive selfless student athletes I ever covered. And they're both superstars that are about to be multi, multi, multi millionaires. Devante already is. And it's just neat. Sometimes when good guys don't finish last, they finish first because those are the two best guys I've ever had a chance to cover. But you know, what's interesting about that comparison is you're right. They both have that, that million dollar smile, like you said, but Devante had that killer in him too. Like where, where Frank wanted to Frank and like Josh Jackson, they wanted to kill you. And then they wanted to stare daggers into your heart. 
Devante wanted to kill you and then laugh in your face, you know, because he, that was just his personality. It was like, I'm going to laugh. I'm having so much fun beating you and putting you out of your Does Ochai have that? Do you think, does Ochai have that next level, that killer instinct in him that made those guys so special? That's one of the things that, that was talked about in the pre-draft process. They wanted to see him in attack mode more. They wanted to see that killer instinct, scoring at all three levels, but also having that aggressiveness and assertiveness offensively, and I think he's proven that. Um, I hate to use the, the killer metaphor, but you said Devontae wants to kill you and laugh at you. Ochai, if he killed you, he would bury you, say a prayer for you, and, and console your family. <laughs> He's, he's that good of a guy. That's, that's just the kind of guy yeah. he is. You know, the, the second to last game, it was the TCU game, and they were honoring an outstanding Jayhawk ambassador that spent 41 years with KU Endowment. They had a framed 41 jersey on the floor, and, and they're, they're carrying the jersey off after this on-court presentation. The ball's getting set to come in, in bounds. All 10 guys are on the floor, and Ochai's shaking the guy's hand as he's on the sideline. And I'm like, look at that guy. He's like, he's, he's the kid you'd let date your daughter, dog sit for your dog. And in this case, when the ball's about to be inbounded, he's, he's making sure the head of KU Endowment felt the love as well. He's that good of a guy. But now I, I tell you what, anything he gets over these next seven days in terms of postseason accolades, ink and love is well-deserved and couldn't go to a better guy and a better story. You talk about rags to riches, a guy that nobody was looking at uh, in the high school recruiting landscape to now a Wooden Award finalist, the first-team All-American. I don't think he wins National Player of the Year just, just looking at some of the guys he's up against, but he could. He absolutely could. But regardless, he's going to hang in Allen Fieldhouse for all the time, his number in, in the Raptors, which is so cool, and it could not have happened to a better Jayhawk ambassador. So, you know, when you when you look at having elite play, because if I look back at the the national the, the Big Twelve Player of the Years under Bill Self, um, Frank and Devante, uh, Udoka, uh, Thomas Robinson, Marcus Morris, so they fit two kind of different but sort of specific roles with Bill Self. They're either the initiators, the guards, the guys who are sort of the the coach on the court, or they are the big guy who everything runs through. Because we know that's what Bill Self has typically liked to do. Ochai isn't either of those things. We haven't seldom, we haven't very often seen a wing player who you run through, but that's probably a testament to his season more than anything else. I think that's also what gives people a little bit of pause about this team is that you want that 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 sort of that calming presence at point guard, which I think at times has been there, at times it hasn't. It's just been inconsistent guard play. I think is probably the best way to say it. Do you think that that is, is that a fair criticism of this team? Because when dewan has been good, this team has been really good. There have also been the, the games where he's not as much of a threat offensively or the rotation sort of shifting with Joe playing a little bit more, Remy playing a little bit more. It's been an ongoing conversation. And I think that for a lot of people is, is the one hesitancy to pushing this team into being in that final four conversation. That and the fact that with David McCormick, you know, it's two good games, one bad game, two yeah. steps forward, one step back. And, you know, we're hearing more the last two weeks of what David's been dealing with beyond simply the foot that he had surgery on in the offseason, but also a, a knee that swells up anytime he pushes it too hard. And the fact that he doesn't complain one bit, he doesn't miss one day. Self has thrown more roses his way the last two weeks and opened up about everything that David has to go through just to be out there and his tremendous attitude, not griping or complaining once about that. And so hopefully some of his critics hear that and realize 
you know, that we are fortunate, even if he's frustrating and sometimes he doesn't dunk it as much as he should, or, you know, blows a bunny here or there, or gets the ball swiped when he brings it down low, understand what he's doing just to be out there. But I, I think you're right to say that the, the point guard question, because you don't have as surefire of an option that some of the great self teams have had and Williams teams for that matter, that, that people worry about this team, but also, you know, the, the fact that the big man spot is a little bit inconsistent. I, I think though that, if McCormick, you know, could find a way to play to his size and, and string together three great weeks here, knowing that the finish line is in sight, and maybe he doesn't have as much bounce as he would have if his foot was giving him uh, 100% clearance. Uh, you know, he plays to the double-double Dave type numbers. We could absolutely ride him to a Final Four run. I don't worry as much about the point guard stuff based on what I saw the last week because I really think DeWan Harris is starting to settle in, not just as a guy that gives you the occasional scoring punch like we saw in the second half versus TCU, but as a guy that's making plays on both ends of the floor and now is being known more for positive defensive plays than early in league play where, to me, you know, we remember Juan when he played next to Marcus Garrett and, and he was the beneficiary of having Garrett out there. He could ball hawk a bit and get some steals. I thought early in league play, just to be constructive and, and honest, I thought at times the fact that he's only 160 pounds, he got bully balled a bit. I thought at times, because he doesn't have the quickest side-to-side shuffle your feet quickness, he got beat off the bounce quite a bit. Now we've seen him really evolve, punctuated today at the time of taping with the announcement of him on the All-Big 12 defensive team, something that I didn't think in January he was going to finish anywhere near. And you look at his last two games, he had the the game-ending block versus TCU. I won't say game-saving block because inexplicably they went for a two-pointer with two seconds left, down three. But it was a game-ending block. And then he had four blocks versus Texas, okay? so Rim protector. It's crazy. He went Jeff Withy on the Longhorns, and he's only like 6'2", 160 pounds. But the point is, uh, he has really, I think, evolved and matured as a defender. I still worry against guys like Akinjo and, and really electric quick guys that we can get beat off the bounce. I worry against bigger physical guys uh, that they can kind of back him down, that it's an issue at times. Sorry to cut you off, but, but what do you do there if you're Bill Self? Like, because... I know it's really easy to say, well, those are the, the instances in which you, you play Remy more, you play Joe more, but I know there's also the flip side of it where, like, it's not baseball where everything can be super situational. Like, I think there is a trust factor that Bill Self is very uh, attuned to. Like, he's not going to take his one of his five best players off the court in the final two minutes just because he thinks it's necessarily a great matchup. I know that's a fine line to walk, but what do you think that's I, I, like? I don't think you can make it situational or, or, you know, you can substitute offense for defense late in game sometimes, but I don't think he's that liability as much anymore either. Early in the season, maybe. The weight is what it is, and he knows it, and he said as much. He says he'd like to gain 15 pounds between this season and next. I don't know how realistic that is with his frame, but there are times where he gets bully balled. I'm marking that down right now, by the way, because every September there's an article about so-and-so put on 15 pounds of muscle in the best shape of their life. Yeah, I I don't know, man. He's going to have to eat about 15 PB&Js a day and and have some of that weight gainer 3,000 that South Park used to talk about. But but no, he... uh, I think he's he's been able to overcome some of that. And and Bill will tell you he's he's, you know, the best defender we have on this team. KJ Adams is number two, 
But like there are at other positions for Kansas, there are certain physical limitations, and you hope that that doesn't come out to be an Achilles heel. But he's come a long ways. I'm thrilled with him. And, and I, I don't worry as much about the, the point guard half of, of the question you asked there because I feel like he's kind of settling in and, and becoming – the optimal version that he's going to be. He's not as good as those guys you listed off, the predecessors that were on great Elite Eight and Final Four teams, but we're starting to see Juan really round into form. And we quickly forget that before he hit those last four shots versus TCU, he was one for his last 14, including 0 of 9 versus uh, Baylor and TCU in Fort Worth. And yet, the way he finished the season, finishing that second half versus the Frogs and then the Texas game, shows me he's really on an upswing. The fact that he still had the confidence you know, to take some of those shots, even when there were numbers piling up against him in a negative sense, shows me that his confidence, his mental toughness, all that is where you would want it to be. He's not going to be perfect, but, but he is a winner who makes all these little winning plays that Bill Self is in love with. And I'll say this much. This season, perhaps more than any other, I've understood what it means to be in the Bill Self circle of trust versus not being in the circle of trust. And you see that not only with Dewan versus Remy, or for the first 20 games, Dewan versus Joe, who then entered the circle of trust after Ames, Iowa. You see it with the big man position. Think about going to Morgantown and Zach Clements doesn't sniff the floor and Mitch admittedly had a bad game, but they still didn't go to Zach because they were in a hostile environment. Self didn't know how the rookie would handle it. And in that setting against a physical pressuring team, not full court pressure, but half court, he didn't have Zach in the circle of trust. And so this team that back in October we thought would be the deepest team we'd had in years and all this, uh, because of injury and some guys not settling in as much, some guys never fully made it all the way in that circle. And it doesn't mean they don't play. It just means they don't play when it really matters, and they don't play nearly as much as we thought. And, and we're really starting to see who is in that circle and who isn't. And guys that had a chance to, to you know thrust themselves into it, like Remy and Zach and KJ, as we start up Big 12 playing Kansas City right now, are on the outside looking in, and that probably won't change with as many as nine games left or as few as two. And we don't need to get super into the teeth on this, but just like to sort of bookmark that, I think more than anything that shows us that the idea that you can come in in one year, and it's not a, this isn't a knock on, on Joe or Remy or any of the freshmen because we've seen plenty of examples of that over the years. When you've got an experienced bunch, because it's easy to forget Dewan was here for a year before he started playing last year. And they were, by, by the way, and I'm sure you know this as well, they were singing his praises even before he started playing. His redshirt freshman year, you talk to any of the assistant coaches, any of the coaches, they said, this guy's going to be good. It's really hard to manufacture that trust in one year. You just, yeah. you cannot do it. And maybe it's some other places you can. Maybe some other coaches are less demanding about what they want to see right away. But at Kansas, it's so hard you got to be a special type of player to come in in year one and usurp those guys that have been there for a couple of years. It's interesting because I, I look with an eye of envy over the neighbor's fence at the portal fits that happened in Lubbock and Fort Worth and Ames and Stillwater and Waco. And I think, man, our portal guys didn't fit at all compared to what happened at these other schools where I think Texas Tech did the best job. But, you know, look at our Big 12 first-team all-league. Texas Tech 
as a portal guy that's first team all league. All right, Bryson Williams, Brockington at Iowa State, portal guy. All right, Akinjo Baylor, transfer portal guy. TCU, 60% of their starting lineup were yeah. portal guys. It worked out really well. Oklahoma State had two five-star portal transfers, okay? I think they could be one of the top three teams in the league next year, but that's for a future episode, all right? Kansas, it didn't fit. And and it's easy to say, man, we, we had the worst, you know, portal year of all these schools. And some of that may be true where the fit wasn't quite there as much, but I think the key is what Nick Schwartz actually just said, is that at Kansas – there were five other established stars that two of which were on the preseason all big 12 team that I don't care who the portal guy is. He's not going to usurp Christian Brown circle of trust, Jalen Wilson, David McCormick circle of trust. These are guys that have been here. They've won games here. No matter how great the portal guy was, he probably wasn't going to leapfrog those guys. And we thought it would work out with Remy and just plug him in right away. But it was obvious in October, Nick, that self-trusted Juan way more. And Remy was running with the twos. And, and you know, it didn't look that way up in Madison Square Garden when he had a big second half versus the Spartans. But even then, you know, self-trusted Juan more. And so I don't want to say that when these other teams hit home runs in the portal that, that we popped out to second base because a lot of it has to do with what was already here. In a different year, when there's more opportunity there and less entrenched stars with circle of trust credibility with the Hall of Fame coach, maybe we do have better luck there. But I don't think the opportunity was nearly what it was at Kansas, um, you know, compared to what it was at these other schools like Baylor, whose roster was gutted after the national title, or Iowa State, who didn't win a league game last year. So, of course, they could have some guys come in and, and step it up right away. Same's true with the other schools I gave you, TCU, Texas Tech, and Oklahoma State. And so um, I, I just I think that punctuates the point that you made about how tough it is in one year to win over self, especially when he's got a veteran group that over two, three, four seasons with him have earned his trust like those guys have. Well, Brian, I uh, I hope you get a long run, a little bit longer than the last two tournaments that you've had a chance to call. And I'm looking at your background right now. Nobody can see this, but I see all the Final Four garb. I see a San and maybe two San Antonio ones. I see uh, a New Orleans one back there. So if you get another New Orleans one this year, uh, what do you say we do this again? You join yeah. me live from New Orleans, and we can celebrate. I'd love that. Those are actually the seat cushions that they, they put on the chairs at the various arenas, the Superdome, the Alamo <laughs> Dome. Whatever. I was wondering what those were. Yeah, and they're, they're up against the wall. And I've got uh, a picture of me when I was 18 years old and Roy Williams did an inning of baseball play-by-play with me. I was, I was uh, probably 165, 75 pounds. I looked like Wando at that point. <laughs> and that's not to imply that I'm fat now, but I've bulked up a little bit since then. And then I've got Bud Stallworth, in his New Orleans jazz uniform from back in the day. And then a picture of me and Brett Ballard, my original Rock Shock Sports Talk co-host. We had an ad in the Journal World with me, again, looking not at all jacked, super skinny, uh, next to a silhouette, like blacked out photo. Who's the host going to be? And that ran in the LJ world for about three days. And then they announced it at the end of the week. And there was Brett Ballard. And that's how the show that launched both of our careers first got started with now the coach of the Washburn Nickabots. So there's some unique memorabilia here. The very last thing I'll show you, you see those blue shorts over my shoulder? Oh, is that what those are? Yeah, yeah. 
Those are Bill Self practice worn shorts. He tossed those to me one day when I was like 28 years old. We were leaving the field house at the same time. He had a trash bag full of them that he was going to go donate to Goodwill of all places. Stuff he'd worn. Like, man, you could sell that. He says, here, Haney, you take this one. And I've kept them ever since. Did you wash them? Years. No. Still got the, the self-sweat on. Wow. So, should I have washed them? No, 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 no. I think, no, I'm just, I don't know. I don't know why that's the first question that came to mind, but I think that's the right call. You wash them, it probably devalues them a bit. A little bit. You're not going to wash it. You're not going to wash game worn Michael Jordan jersey, are you? No, never. Last, last thing, and folks really don't care about my office. Yeah, here, they but, can't see it. <laughs> uh, one of my bosses ha- had a tradition of getting a full-size helmet of every school he worked for. He's now our deputy AD, Jason Booker. So I've got the KU helmet with Gail Sayers on it, and I've got the Texas Tech helmet with one Patrick Mahomes autograph go. on it, who was there when I was at Tech. Well, sweet, man. You've got, a, you've got a hell of memorabilia collection. I don't know. You, should prob- you could probably charge for tours during the offseason or something. I've seen it. The man cave's... Uh, something else down there but hey man this was this was very fun uh was always good to catch up with you like i said i hope you have a long tournament run but uh thanks for the time tonight always a pleasure man you're one of my favorite guys in the industry i'm so happy and proud of your success and yeah let's uh let's hold you and me to it let's huddle up again from on bourbon street the beignets are on me the booze is on (laughs) you but we'll do another podcast if the hawks make it to the final four thank you man All right, that's it. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, review. We'll have another episode coming in two days. This is the Wave in the Week podcast. Thank you so much. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.